Hollywood and crime contains adult themes and content and some strong language. It may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Bonnie Lee Bakley was nine months pregnant and running out of time. She was splayed out on her couch. Her feet were swollen, her back hurt, and her belly ached. But it was nothing compared with the hurt she felt inside. Robert Blake hadn't answered her letters or called her for almost six months. He changed his phone number, so she couldn't even call. Her pregnancy was supposed to get him to marry her. Instead, it made him run the other way. She kept replaying their last phone conversation in her head. I know the truth. All the drama and all the tears and all the innocence and all the sweetie pride does not change the truth. The one thing in the world you know I was terrified of was anybody getting pregnant. And you did it deliberately. Why? Not because you want to be with me. It has something to do with some crazy shit that's going on in your head that you want Robert Blake's baby and that's all on you, baby. You have to live with that. You scheme this whole thing. I know who you are, and I know what you are. But you're wrong. Yeah, I'm wrong. She was used to his outbursts, but his tone was icy. Sure, it was a scheme, but love makes you do crazy things. Why couldn't he see that? She stared at the ceiling and considered plan B telling Christian Brando the baby was his in hopes that he'd marry her. But the reason he was Plan B was because of three other letters. D-N-A. She had sex with him ten weeks after she got pregnant. What if he wanted a paternity test? Plan B was shaky at best, and Plan Blake was stalled. The baby would be here in a matter of days, She needed to make Blake understand how much she loved him. Time for another letter. Why did you disconnect your phone number? You are everything I had always wanted to be. When I'm with someone of your caliber, it feels 1,000 times better than with a commoner. The downside, of course, is when it doesn't work, it is also a 1,000 times worse. Even if you hate me, it's not the baby's fault I wanted you too much. It still needs you. Why don't you talk to me? She chewed on her pen, thinking of the perfect way to close. She had it. Love me and the baby. She'd give him until the baby was born. If he hadn't written or called by then, she'd cut him loose and become Mrs. Christian Brando. From Wondery, I'm Tracy Patton, along with my co-host, Josh Lucas. And this is Hollywood and Crime, the execution of Bonnie Lee Bakley. In our last episode, the Homicide Special Squad found the weapon that killed Bonnie Lee Bakley in a dumpster at the crime scene. They suspected her husband, Robert Blake. But when they searched Blake's house, they didn't find any evidence. Then, in an interview, Bonnie's sister Marjorie revealed shocking details about Blake and Bonnie's relationship. Bonnie secretly took fertility pills to get pregnant, 
And when Blake found out she'd gotten pregnant to try to trap him, he was enraged. This is episode three, Double Helix, Double Crossed. It's May 10th, 2001. Detective Ron Ito stands in the parking lot of LAPD headquarters. He's got a scratchy throat and splitting headache. He hasn't slept much in the six days since Bonnie Bakley was found shot to death. He pops a menthol cough drop for his throat, but it won't help his headache. The source of it is about to make his grand entrance. Harland Braun. Braun is Robert Blake's high-powered criminal defense attorney. He's repped celebrities, politicians, cops, cases that draw headlines. Hollywood goes to him because he's a master of playing the press. And since the murder, he's been spinning this case to make Blake look like the victim. He's saying there are plenty of other suspects out there the cops haven't explored. Now he's called a press conference in LAPD's backyard. It's a ballsy move to troll the cops on their own turf, but Ito's not surprised. Braun is a $600 an hour drama queen, and this is his stage. Braun pulls up in a silver Mercedes, followed by a station wagon. He gets out and pops his trunk, motions to the driver of the other car to do the same. Both cars are packed with suitcases and boxes. Ito mutters under his breath, "Uh, here we go. Braun strides to the podium and taps on the microphone. My duty as a criminal lawyer is to turn over evidence to the police that might be relevant to this investigation. Braun holds his hand up for dramatic effect. We know two things about Bonnie Lee Bakley. Number one, she conned hundreds of men all over the country. And number two, she kept meticulous records. He makes a sweeping gesture towards the stack of boxes. Bonnie made copies of letters, recorded calls. She kept track of names, addresses, phone numbers, and preferences. There could be any number of people who had it in for her. And it's all there, in those boxes. That's the cop's cue to get busy loading up the dollies. The subtext is clear. The cops haven't been doing their job. Ida's annoyed. Homicide special will need to go through every letter. Look at every Tom, Dick, and Harry who Bonnie got close to. If they don't, Braun will accuse the LAPD of shoddy police work at the trial. Ito signs the document to make the transfer official while the press snaps photos. Then he heads upstairs. He'll deal with the boxes later. Right now he's focused on someone close to Blake, who they're slated to interview that afternoon. Blake's handyman slash bodyguard, a guy named Earl Caldwell. Bonnie's sister said Bonnie was scared of him. If Blake had anything to do with the murder, Caldwell should know. Bonnie Lee Bakley lays in her narrow hospital bed, staring up at the ceiling. It was June 2nd, 2000. She should have given birth at Cedars-Sinai in Beverly Hills, holding the hand of Robert Blake. Instead, she was at the University of Arkansas Medical Center, and she was alone. But when the nurse handed her her baby, everything felt right. A beautiful little girl with dark hair, a tiny, perfect mouth, and deep brown eyes. A soulful expression. That's what they called it. 
She looked just like her father. The nurse's voice startled her out of her thoughts. Honey, I need to fill out the birth certificate. What's the baby's name? Bonnie considered. Despite her last desperate letter, there'd been no answer from Blake. Worse, a friend told her Blake was seeing some woman in New York. It made her heart hurt. It also made her mad. How could he be seeing someone else when she was giving birth to his child? Bonnie, have you picked out a name? This was it. The moment of truth. She vowed that if she hadn't heard from Blake by the time the baby was born, she was cutting him loose. She looked at her little girl. She was sticking to her guns. Her name is Christian. Christian Shannon Brando. The nurse looked surprised. Bonnie wasn't sure if it was because Christian was a boy's name or because she recognized the famous last name. Who should I put as the father? Bonnie hesitated. She'd made her decision. Christian was the father. Except he wasn't. Blake was. She turned to the nurse. Leave it blank. She'd deal with it later. She digs in her purse and pulls out a camera. Can you take a picture of me and the baby? She'd send Brando a photo and a note with the happy news that he was a father. She watches the photo develop, blowing on the edges. Wow, the baby really does look like Blake. Wait, nurse, can you take one more? Maybe she'd send Blake a photo too, just one, and a little note. Let him know he had a new daughter in the world. Well, she looks just like you, which is hard on me if I'm going to have to forget about you. If you would call, I'm sure we could work something out. Bonnie stroked her daughter's tiny fingers and made her a silent promise. One way or another, Mama's going to marry a celebrity, and you're going to live a charmed life. Detective Ido has been anxious to question Earl Caldwell ever since they spoke to Bonnie's sister, Marjorie. Caldwell is Blake's handyman slash bodyguard. Marjorie said Bonnie was afraid of him. She thought he and Blake were conspiring to kill her. When Caldwell shows up at the station, the picture doesn't exactly line up. He's big, at least six foot and 250 pounds, but his smile makes him look like someone's nervous uncle who isn't sure if he's in the right place. He's brought a lawyer with him, an attorney paid for by Blake. Not a good sign that Caldwell plans to be forthcoming. When everyone is seated, Ito jumps right in. So, how would you describe the relationship between Bonnie and Blake? Caldwell doesn't hesitate. They were lovey-dovey. Ito considers. Blake told the cops it wasn't a happy marriage. Now the couple was lovey-dovey. Bonnie lived in the back house, right? They didn't even share a bed? Caldwell doesn't have an answer for that. Instead, he changes the subject. I'm supposed to tell you about the trip we took? Ito frowns. I'm supposed to tell you? Clearly, Caldwell's been coached. What about the trip? We met up in Arizona and went on a road trip to Sequoia National Park. Me, Mr. Blake, and Bonnie. The lawyer nudges Caldwell. It was their honeymoon. Right, uh, the honeymoon. 
They kissed and held hands a lot and had a good time. When did you get back? I think it was around April 30th. So five days before the murder. Where were you on the night she was killed? Caldwell looks at the lawyer who nods. Well, I was up in San Mateo with my wife. Blake told me to take a little vacation. Ito makes a mental note to Chuck Caldwell's alibi. Who do you think did this to Bonnie? Caldwell sits back and considers. Well, there was this black Ford pickup I saw parked outside Mr. Blake's house a few times. There was a white guy inside with one of those flat top haircuts. We called him Buzzcut. Did you call the cops? No, the guy wasn't really doing anything except sitting there. So, what's your theory on who did it? I mean, if you had to give it your best guess. Caldwell uncrosses his arms and leans forward. Well, I've been thinking about that. I think she could have set this up herself. Maybe she hired someone off Blake so she could get his money, and the shooter shot her by mistake. Ito glances at the detective sitting next to him. Did Caldwell and his lawyer really think they'd buy this? Are you willing to take a polygraph? Caldwell shakes his head. I don't believe in those. After Caldwell leaves, Ito heads back to his desk. If Caldwell thought his statement would take suspicion off of Blake, he was wrong. Ito is now even more convinced that both Caldwell and Blake are hiding something. Robert Blake finished his morning workout and flexed for the mirror. Not bad for 67. It was mid-June 2000, the weather was mild, and he had the perfect day planned. A leisurely stroll around the block and then lunch at the Aroma Cafe. But all his plans went out the window when he got Bonnie's letter. Inside was a picture of a baby, and it looked exactly like him. The eyes, the shape of her nose, She said the baby was his. Then again, if Bonnie was breathing, she was working a con. When he found out a few weeks later she named the baby Christian Shannon Brando, he was sure of it. But then she sent more pictures along with the baby's blood type. It was O positive, same as his. Bonnie's was different. His doctor told him that could be used as proof of paternity in a court of law. He had to see the baby with his own eyes. It's the only way he'd know for sure. So in early July, he asked Bonnie to bring the baby for a visit. A few days later, she was standing on his porch. When he opened the door, Bonnie was holding the baby up in front of her face. Hey, here she is. Blake was surprised to find his palms were sweating. He quickly wiped them on his pants. You wanna hold her? He couldn't remember the last time he'd held a newborn. His kids were grown up. He reached out and gently lifted her into the crook of his arm. Then he sat down on the couch and peered into her eyes. In that moment, he knew in his heart she was his. But he wasn't prepared for how it made him feel. Awestruck, protective, love. She was so small and innocent. Bonnie's voice broke through the fog. See the way she's looking at you? She loves her daddy. Just think, if we get married, you can see her every day. Marriage? That was the last thing on his mind. He needed time to think, figure out his next move. He needed to talk to his lawyer. 
Two weeks later, Bonnie was back in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was 4 a.m. The baby wasn't sleeping, and neither was she. She was no closer to her goal of marrying Robert Blake than she was on the night they met. It didn't make sense. She saw the look on his face when he held the baby. His cocky, tough guy smirk was gone. In its place was a softness, a vulnerability she'd never seen before. In that moment, she knew she had him. Except she didn't. They had talked a couple of times since then, but whenever she brought up marriage, he'd changed the subject. That's why she was still stringing Christian Brando along. He was excited to be a dad, said his father would finally be proud of him. But he wasn't offering marriage either. Blake was still her plan A. He was the father, and it was time for him to step up, which meant she needed a lawyer, someone in the major leagues. Enter Carrie Goldstein, one of the top palimony lawyers in Beverly Hills. He was expensive. She hoped he was worth it. When they spoke, Goldstein told her she had a strong case to make Blake pay through the nose for child support. He said he'll put together the papers and send them off to Blake's lawyers. Bonnie liked that idea, but she had an even bigger plan. She knew Blake was cheap. She'd let him think she was taking him to the cleaners. And then she'd offer him an alternative, one he couldn't refuse. following Bonnie's murder, the media is in overdrive, and the public is lapping it up. This is Los Angeles, after all, where a celebrity murderer is even bigger than the Oscars. Tour buses drive by Robert Blake's house, hoping to catch a glimpse of the star. Customers flock to Vitello's, where Bonnie had her last meal. The most popular dish on the menu quickly becomes fusilli a la Robert Blake. For Ido, it's nothing but a headache. Every time he turns on the news, the Bakley murder is the top story, and everyone has an opinion, especially about the gun Blake said he went back for at the restaurant when Bonnie was murdered, a gun no one at the restaurant ever saw. Why did he need a gun at all? On Larry King Live, Blake's son says his father was a good man, and he was carrying a gun because Bonnie was afraid someone was after her. But Bonnie's half-brother says the only person she was afraid of was Blake, and she didn't want him carrying a gun. Bonnie's best friend tells ABC News, I have no doubt that he killed her. He killed his child's mother. One of Blake's friends is adamant that he didn't do it, but he's happy to add his own theory. She screwed over so many people he could get a telephone directory of suspects. It's frustrating for Ito. This kind of pressure forces cops to move quickly, and moving fast can lead to mistakes. They need time to work the case, and all this talk about Bonnie's past is just another one of Harlan Braun's tactics to dirty the victim. It may sell papers, but it needs to stop. No one deserves the fate Bonnie got. An LAPD spokesperson tries to quell the speculation by releasing a statement. We must remember that Bonnie Lee Bakley is not the one under investigation. She is the victim. We need to be sensitive to that. 
but no one is listening. It's like fighting a fire with a squirt gun. Bonnie Lee Bakley was always a risk taker, and most of the time her risks paid off. But the odds were long on this one. A week ago, her lawyer threatened to sue Robert Blake for child support. Bonnie would bet a crisp hundred that Blake was freaking out. She hoped so, because she was about to offer him another option. The option she wanted all along. One she thinks will appeal to Blake because no celebrity wants to end up in court labeled a deadbeat dad. She'd give up child support if he'd marry her and agree to three things. She'd put them in writing to make it crystal clear. I would need, one, a ring. Make it at least a carrot, size six. You can get it at a pawn shop or one of your flea markets. I don't care as long as it's real and from you. Two, paternity papers signed and notarized. If you want to do a DNA test first, fine. Three, your phone number. Keep it for a year and a half so I can call you. These three things are what I need to close the deal for now. Of course, if you would prefer to take your chances in court, that's all right too. Love, Bonnie. One week later, he called. Okay. Okay what? If the DNA test proves she's mine and you sign a prenup, then? I'll marry you. A huge smile broke over Bonnie's face. After all the calls and letters, the tears and the frustration, the threats and the lawyers, she had won. She was going to marry Robert Blake. Robert Blake had no intention of marrying Bonnie Lee Bakley. Not now, not ever. He didn't want to be with her for the rest of his life, and he didn't want her raising their child. He only said yes to Bonnie's demands to buy himself some time. Time to dig up dirt on Bonnie, show that she was an unfit mother so he could get custody of the baby. Enter Will Jordan. Jordan was a retired cop turned private investigator with the same name as Blake's comedian friend who introduced him to Bonnie. But this Jordan was one of the best PIs in the business, left no stone unturned. The dirt arrived on a warm September evening in the form of a thick sheaf of papers. Jordan handed them over and the two sat down. Blake started to read. He knew Bonnie ran a con business, but he had no idea how big until now. She forged a check for 600 Gs. Damn lucky she didn't serve time for it. Do you know she's on probation? Yeah, she told me about the probation, but she didn't say what for. She got pulled over for running a stop sign, and when the cops searched her car, they found 16 stolen credit cards and five social security cards, all under different names. Keep reading. There's more. She built a rich kid out of tens of thousands of dollars and got busted by the FBI. The FBI? Are you shitting me? The entire FBI report's in there. You can read it for yourself. Blake flipped to the report and started reading from the top. It started as one of Bonnie's regular scams. A Taiwanese exchange student in California responded to an ad in a swinger magazine. She sent him nude photos. He sent her money. But then she took it to the next level. She flew out to California with her 13-year-old daughter and, as she put it, 
dated the client. And that's where it got really crazy. She had friends pose as FBI agents who threatened to arrest the student for aiding and abetting prostitution. Then they offered him an alternative, pay a $32,000 fine. He paid the money, but when Bonnie came back for more, the kid got suspicious. That's when he called the real FBI agents who showed up at Bonnie's house. They seized piles of nude photos and a Samsonite suitcase with drugs inside. Demerol, Dilaudid, and morphine. She said she was safeguarding them for Jerry Lee Lewis. Miraculously, she skated without prison time. This is insane. What if she does that to my daughter too? What are my options here? You can petition for custody, but it could go either way. You're a 67-year-old man and you've been pretty open about your, uh, your struggles. Will was right. All those crazy stories he told on Johnny Carson, punching a director, being hooked on drugs, could all be used against him. That's when Blake got the idea. It would have to come together fast. He'd need people he trusted and a backup plan if things went south. It would be a major production. But if there's one thing Blake knew how to do, it was put on a show. It's Saturday, eight days since Bonnie's murder, and detectives Ito and Aguchi are working through the weekend. Ito flips on the fluorescent lights in the squad room. A stack of boxes goes halfway to the ceiling. It's the evidence Blake's lawyer dumped on them at the press conference. Ito stifles a cough. He's caught a hell of a cold. Detective Aguchi looks at his boss, concerned. You okay? Nothing a weekend of golf can't cure. Neither laughs. They won't have any weekends off in the foreseeable future. The Bakley case has officially taken over their lives. To add to the pressure, Harlan Braun's PR machine has been throwing heaters all week. His latest trick was to tell reporters that the gunshot residue test on Blake's hands was negative. The lab doesn't even have the results yet. The boxes of Bonnie's letters are probably a dead end, but they can't discount anything. So he and Aguchi dig in. Bonnie was a meticulous record keeper, and the papers give a detailed rundown of her business, addresses, amounts, post office boxes she used as drops, and copies of letters she sent, hundreds of them, along with the Mark's responses on how much they paid. Most of Bonnie's letters sound like they're cribbed from trashy paperback novels. Ito unfolds one and starts to read. I was on my way to your place, and now I broke down. The garage guy said he has to go to the junkyard and get me a different drive shaft, and with the labor, tax, and towing, it's going to cost $250. Do you have a credit card? She expected a total stranger to hand over a credit card number? <clears throat> Guys will do crazy things for the promise of sex. Here's another one. Why not just send me a plane ticket or train ticket even? I can get there quickly and be your very own love slave. And if you send me about 80 bucks, I can drive there. One last thing. Checks are hard to handle on the road. Cash is best. Money orders are fine. Most of the letters show amounts that add up to small potatoes. 20 bucks here, 40 there. Sometimes as much as 500 before the mark caught on. It doesn't seem likely amounts that small would drive someone to fly out to L.A. and commit murder. There were some ex-husbands she ripped off for quite a bit more, but most of them were over 80, dead, or lived far away. 
Ito will have his team follow up to be sure, but his gut tells him there's nothing here. Robert Blake is still the most likely suspect. The case of nerves was nothing new to Robert Blake. He'd auditioned for A-list directors, waited for studio executives to decide his fate. But on the morning of September 21st, 2000, he was as nervous as he'd ever been. He had a plan that could go wrong about a thousand ways. And now, it was showtime. He pulled into his driveway and looked over at Bonnie and the baby. So, you ready for your surprise? I love surprises. The front door opened and a woman with flaming red hair stepped out and smiled nervously. Hi, you must be Bonnie. Meet Nancy, your full-time nanny. A nanny? Really? No, not really. Nancy was Cody Blackwell, Blake's former assistant. Cody wasn't the only one playing a part. Earl Caldwell, his bodyguard, was hiding in the hall closet in case anything went sideways. Bonnie thought she was here for the DNA test. They did that this morning. They'd get the results in a few days, but Blake wasn't waiting. I've got another surprise. He led her into a spare bedroom he'd converted into a nursery. There were Peter Rabbit curtains and stuffed animals and toys. He spent almost a grand. Bonnie looked impressed. Now he needed to get her out of the house. Without the baby. Let's have lunch at your hotel. Talk about the future. We can leave the baby with Nancy. Bonnie looked unsure. I don't know if it's a good idea to leave the baby with a stranger. It'll be fine. She's a nurse. Blake gave Bonnie a confident smile, but he was sweating. Okay. Cut. Print. Now for scene two. At the restaurant, he made small talk, pretending everything was perfectly normal. After they ordered... He got up and stretched. Eh, men's room. Be right back. But instead of the bathroom, he beelined for the payphone and called his house. Blackwell picked up on the first ring. Take the baby and go to your house. What? When? Now. Wait for my instructions. Blake hung up the phone. He had 45 minutes to have a pleasant lunch with Bonnie. And then he had to hit the road. Alone. If he couldn't convince Bonnie to stay behind, his plan would fall apart. Time for his close-up. Back at the table, he laid on the charm. He looked into Bonnie's eyes, laughed at her jokes, told his best stories, even took her hand and talked about their future together. She was eating it up. He checked his watch. You must be tired, flying across the country with the baby and all. Why don't you spend the rest of the afternoon relaxing by the pool? Both of us? Just you. I have some stuff to do. Bonnie pouted. I thought we were spending the day together. We'll get together tonight. Well, hanging by the pool does sound nice. Perfect. He paid the check and walked her to the lobby. The moment she was out of sight, he hustled to a payphone and called Blackwell again, told her to meet him in the parking lot of a liquor store on Riverside Drive. He took Ventura to the 101, to the 134, to Coldwater, and into the liquor store parking lot. He checked his watch. He was early. And he was nearly home free. It was almost too easy. 
Blackwell pulled up. He jumped out and handed her three $100 bills, payment for her supporting role as the nanny. Then he took the baby in his arms. Well, kid, from here on, it's just me and you. But baby Christian wasn't ready for her close-up. She started crying. Nothing Blake did could console her. He needed to drive. How could he do that and soothe the baby at the same time? Get in the car. What? Why? Hold the baby and lay down in the back so nobody sees you. The traffic soothed him. Cody and the baby were both quiet. He was heading for the climax of the story, where the music swells and he gives the baby to his daughter, Delina. His daughter, Delina, was a clinical psychologist. She'd be a great mom and the baby would be safe. He pulled off the freeway and into a McDonald's parking lot. He took 10 bucks out of his wallet and turned to Cody. Give me the baby. Get something to eat. Robert, am I part of a kidnapping? I'll be back in an hour. Go. Blake checked his watch again. His part was almost done, but the story wasn't over. Will Jordan should be at the sportsman's lodge shortly, ready for his supporting role. He looked at his baby daughter on his seat beside him. She stared up at him, smiling gave him strength. She was the reason for everything. He offered up a silent prayer to happy endings, and then he drove off into the sunset. Bonnie leaned back in her lounge chair and sipped her iced Pepsi. She felt like a movie star, palm trees behind her, pool in front, and the whole afternoon to relax. Her baby was safe with her new full-time nanny, and soon she'd be Mrs. Robert Blake. She closed her eyes and pictured her future life. When her probation was up, she'd move into Blake's place. She'd fix it up, give it a feminine touch, and then she'd need a new wardrobe for social events. Maybe she'd even shop on Rodeo Drive. A shadow crossed her body, interrupting her thoughts. Her eyes flickered open. There was a man standing over her. Are you Bonnie Lee Bakley? Bonnie lowered her sunglasses and gave him the once over. He was stocky with a shock of white hair and wearing a rumpled suit. Who wants to know? I need to talk to you about your probation status. Are you a cop? LAPD, 16 years on the force. He reached inside his coat and pulled out his badge, flashing it just long enough for Bonnie to see LAPD detective. Sorry to ruin your afternoon, but we got a call from your probation officer with a request to extradite. Do you know you're in violation of your parole? Bonnie's heart jumped. It was true. But how the hell would some cop in L.A. know that? She never missed a check-in with her probation officer, and she wasn't due to call him again until next week. She'd have to punt. He won't give me any trouble. I had to bring my daughter out here to see her father. Maybe you know him. Robert Blake? Beretta? Yes. Big fan. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Okay, maybe I can cut you a break here. I hate to put you through the whole mess of driving you down to the station, but I strongly suggest you pack up and go home. 
It wasn't a suggestion, it was a warning. Her mind started to spin. She needed to call the airlines and find a flight back. If she could get back by morning, she could make up any old story about where she was. She calculated how long it would take her to get to Blake's house to pick up the baby and then to Burbank Airport. She would call Blake as soon as she was back in her room. She hoped he wouldn't be mad. Just when she was imagining her glorious new life, her fucking past snuck up and bit her on the ass. It's been four hours since Blake left Bonnie at Sportsman's Lodge. His baby was safe with his daughter, Delina. Cody Blackwell, the fake nanny, was back at home, and his bodyguard, Caldwell, had left for the day. If he still drank, he'd pour himself a toast to celebrate. Just one more step, and he was home free. He walked in his front door and waited for the call. If Will Jordan did his part right, it should come any minute. He didn't have long to wait. Blake, it's Bonnie. He could tell she was trying to play it cool, but underneath there was panic. Listen, someone ratted me out to my parole officer. I booked a flight back to Arkansas. I'm heading over now to get the baby. Hold on. Let's think this through. What if they arrest you when you land? What happens to the baby? I'll handle this. The nanny's here to take care of the baby. She'll be fine. Go take care of business. Once it's sorted, you can come back. Bonnie stays silent for a moment. He can tell she's weighing her options. Are you sure? Go. Get on that plane. Blake felt a pang of conscience, but then he remembered Will Jordan's report. He'd do whatever it took to save his baby girl. It's late afternoon on Monday, May 14th, 10 days into the investigation of Bonnie Lee's murder. Detectives Ido and Aguchi spent the weekend going through Bonnie's papers. But today, they'll be doing some good old-fashioned boots-on-the-ground police work. They have an interview with Bonnie's half-brother, Joey, at the Best Western Hotel in Pasadena. Ido is hoping Joey can give more insight into Bonnie's past and her relationship with Robert Blake. The Best Western is a two-story building built more like a motel. All the room doors face a wide parking lot. Definitely no frills. The detectives make their way to the room. Oh, hey, come on in. Joey has a three-day beard and no shoes. He wears a dark blue NYPD sweatshirt, has a beer gut, and looks older than his 37 years. A sad smile is pasted on his face. He tells the detectives he flew in from Tijuana. He's been down there with his boyfriend, Francisco, for the last couple years, living off disability checks. He says he didn't meet Bonnie until he was 16 years old, didn't even know he had a sister. But they got along well. She's a good person, he tells the detectives. Ido asks him if she was having problems with anybody. Joey's answer is short. Only him. Ido knows he means Robert Blake. How long were the problems going on? Since day one. He's a snake in my opinion. Ido asks about his sister's mail order victims, whether there's someone who might have wanted to get even with her. Joey shakes his head no. No one even knew she was out here. Was there anyone who ever stalked her or threatened her or tried to hurt her? Again, Joey shakes his head no. The interview is interrupted by a buzz. Ido's pager. 
It's the homicide supervisor for North Hollywood. Ito asks if he can make a call, and Joey waves his hand toward the phone. Ito punches in the number. Ito here. How fast can you get here? A guy just walked into the station, said Blake tried to hire him to kill his wife. Ito's on his way out the door the second he hangs up the phone. He waves for Iguchi to follow him, and he tosses an apology to Joey. All he's thinking about right now is the fastest route to the North Hollywood station. Bonnie was back in Little Rock, Arkansas, and wearing an ankle bracelet. She was steaming mad. Robert Blake had conned her. Turns out her probation officer had no idea she'd left the state until he got a call from a private investigator in Los Angeles. Bonnie put the pieces together. Blake had set her up. That cop at the Sportsman's Lodge, he must have hired him. And telling her to get on that plane and everything would be fine? It was all a plot to get the baby and to get rid of her. And she fell for it. And now she was trapped in Arkansas for the remaining four months of her probation. If he thought he could get away with this, he had another thing coming. It was time to get even. She called her parole officer and asked him to meet her at his office downtown. There she laid out her whole sob story. She went out to LA to introduce her baby to his father, a man she planned to marry. And then he tricked her and took the baby. She had to fly home without her. She was beside herself with worry. She had no idea where she was. The parole officer nodded in sympathy. Is there anything I can do to help? Well, you could give me permission to fly to L.A. and try and get her back. And just like that, Bonnie was back on a plane headed to Burbank again. As soon as she landed, she rented a car and drove to the North Hollywood Police Station. When she walked in, she marched straight to the front desk. When the desk sergeant looked up, her voice was all business. Excuse me, I'd like to file charges. Robert Blake has kidnapped my baby. And just like that, Bonnie Lee Bakley flipped the script. This is episode three of six of The Execution of Bonnie Lee Bakley. A quick note about our scenes. Some scripted dialogue has been added for narrative cohesiveness. We used many sources when researching this story, but sources we found exceptionally helpful are Homicide Special, A Year with the LAPD's Elite Detective Unit by Miles Corwin, and Blood Cold, Fame, Sex, and Murder in Hollywood by Dennis McDougal and Mary Murphy. Our show was produced by Rebecca Reynolds, Jim Carpenter, and myself for Hollywood and Crime. Our writers are Steve Chivers and Elizabeth Cosen, with additional writing by Natalie Sheshaw and Adam Prince. Our senior producer and editor is Loredana Palavoda. Sound design is by Kyle Randall. Audio assistance from Sergio Enriquez. For Wondery, Janine Cornelow is our senior producer. Executive producers are Stephanie Jens and Marshall Louie. Wonder.